Welcome to the Evolve Workplace Wellbeing Podcast. This podcast is part of a toolkit of free, evidence-informed workplace wellbeing resources provided by the Workplace Wellbeing Research Team based at the University of East Anglia in the UK. You can find the resources on www.evolveworkplacewellbeing.org. The contents of the toolkit draw upon cutting-edge multidisciplinary research on workplace well-being, including insider insights and case studies. We want to help you take evidence-informed action to help your business evolve and thrive. Every six weeks, a member of our team will introduce you to a new piece of research and to someone whose life experience puts a human face on that same research topic. Great. Hello. Uh, my name's Sarah Connolly. I'm Professor of Personnel Economics at Norwich Business School, and I'm part of the Evolve Workplace Wellbeing team. And we're here today to talk with Chief Inspector Steve Carriage of Cambridgeshire Constabulary, who's the project manager for the Constabulary's move to an agile working future. Um, Steve, we work together back in the first lockdown of COVID on the Agile Working project um, that the Constabulary, or the move that the Constabulary made towards Agile Working Mm -hmm. during that lockdown. I wondered if you could say a little bit about the context of work at the Constabulary and why this was such a big big shift for you. Absolutely, and uh, thank you for having me, Sarah, today. Yeah, so our work commenced at the... uh, the very early stage of the first lockdown in 2020. So for the constabulary, a fairly traditional workplace in terms of people going to the same place of work every day. Um, quite, quite traditional in terms of the, 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 the nine to five for those who, of course, are, are, would be working in the office environment. And of course, the 24-7 cover that we would have from police. As with every organisation, March 2020, the Prime Minister's unprecedented announcement we found ourselves as all organizations did in trying to juggle with understanding how we could keep people safe what lockdown meant in terms of providing for our customers for our communities how we keep our staff safe but also um, a unique element for policing the potential to have to 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 work with legislation and actually enforce what the government was talking about so a multifaceted problem for us with some of those additional elements for policing. But we found ourselves in a situation where, of course, we needed to respond, we needed to comply, and we were moving from an almost 100% workplace presence to then having to think about how we could deliver our services in different ways in compliance with those restrictions. So that led to our work. Um, It led to some very early um, considerations around how we could make that work effectively for us and of course with such short notice we had to just make that happen we had to look very carefully at what we deliver and there's a very diverse range of services that delivered within modern policing as you can imagine from both the warranted officers and support staff and we had to make decisions and we had to put things in place so we started with a uh, what we felt was a, a sound set of decisions to make that happen but what we worked out very early on was two things one was there was the necessity to continue to plan for the future and to make sure that we weren't just responding in a spontaneous way, that we were planning ahead for perhaps a prolonged period of working in this way. But what we also did is, what we try to do in policing is whenever we deal with something, when we deal with the here and now, we start to think about what's the recovery from it. So what are the opportunities and the risks? What can we learn from as we go forward? So our work, our collaboration together really started from when we we began to look at what does the recovery piece look like? 
And if we're working in this way and we can do it successfully, there inevitably will be some disbenefits, some challenges, but potentially a great number of benefits that we could look at. So really, our interaction with um, the business school was starting to really understand not just some of the quantitative detail about what that could mean for us, but starting to delve down particularly into using expertise to understand some of the qualitative impact, the effect on um, how people are operating in the workplace, well-being. Um, and that really started off the, the initiative and, and, and coming together to close that gap. Great. Thank you very much. So, yes, our, our study um, was a multifaceted study. Mm. We started with some scoping discussions with key decision makers like yourselves. We ran a baseline survey when we understood, you know, people's normal working patterns and how those had, had shifted. And, and, and then we ran a diary, a daily diary. So we were able to track how individuals encountered this shift in their mm. in their working and the impact on their well-being. And then we conducted um, some interviews with people to really understand their their experience. And, and so the focus of our study was really on the barriers and enablers. Absolutely. Um, uh, and I wondered what your key take-home messages were from, from that. Two overarching take-homes take for me. The, the key thing for me was very much around the well-being focus. Um, and I think the key takeaways I would suggest from this project, first and foremost, would be a, a complete change for line management. So one of the things that came from this is is um, understanding how line managers could deal with a more dispersed staff, how they could deal with people working through different different forms of media, how they could work with people who potentially would not necessarily have around them the usual support structure that you would have in a traditional environment. So all of those things on face value were challenges, but then there were opportunities, there were efficiencies for the organisation. And I think as we saw, we managed to secure... Um, mutual benefits for both organisation and participants from that that open conversation. So that was a really important one for me is around um, the product that actually has, has, has come from this, which has been shared quite widely now around how do we manage people in this way? How do we how do we do that? What are we looking for? What are the pitfalls? What are the traps? So there's a lot of a lot of um, good. And I think what, what was the benefit for us working with an academic partner, you know, getting hold of additional expertise. But I feel the way that we operated. And the way things were clearly explained allowed us to take away and develop some skills. It allowed us to build our capability. So whilst we wouldn't necessarily have the time or the scope to complete a large, significant study, some of the key learning around methodology, some of the key learning around approaches and some of those things really came through. And we've tried to encapsulate that and take that forward with our improvement services within the organisation. So a, a wide variety of things... So, Steve, we've talked a little bit about this agile working checklist. Mm. Uh, I wondered if you could give a little bit more detail of what it looks like and how you've used it and also how you've tweaked it for your own purposes. Absolutely. It's a really useful tool, uh, freely available. It is a proactive checklist. So it's focusing on the short, medium and long term, which obviously we have the value of, of, of this, this research to really understand some of that. So we've incorporated that into our well well-being health check. Um, that we do uh, normally quarterly with all staff across the whole organisation. Um, 
And the fact that it's proactive is we're not just using with people who are agile workers. We're, we're using it to understand people's circumstances. And we're also sharing it with people um, when they are going through the process of commencing their supervision journeys, people who are starting to think about being supervisors for the first time. So very good product. Um, and we have shared with some other organisations. So we, we work with a wide variety of partners, um, many people in similar situations, many people who've come to us and said, well, we're on similar journeys, um, either not quite there yet or, or we've, we've, we've whipped through and now we're having a look. Um, and we've, we, you know, we've really shared that. And it's been a, a, a useful tool and it's been something that people, as I say, have incorporated into their way of understanding something that otherwise would be quite nebulous. So, yeah, really good. That's great. And that creative commons element of it allows other organisations to use it for, yeah. for, for, you know, in, in a way that's valuable and helpful to them to themselves. Um, I remember when we when we conducted some of the interviews, mm. people talked about their, you know, what it was to be involved in policing and, yes. and how the in-person was a really important part of that. Um, and, and, and so it really sounds as though it wasn't just a, a question of change in working practice, but actually a, a, a really significant shift in, in workplace culture. I think you're absolutely uh, and, right, yeah. And I wondered how easy that transition has been for, for you and what kind of learnings you take forward from that. Mm, absolutely. So I think I mentioned before around the diversity of what we do within policing. So we have to understand that there are, when we're caring for the most sensitive in society, when we're dealing with some of the, you know, the most dangerous, high risk challenges that we face as a society, there will always have to be a core 24-7 on the ground service that, that's delivering for, for, for communities. So that was always maintained. And there is a, a, what we found a sort of partway through is we've also got some warranted officers. The nature of their work means that they can work slightly more flexibly. They do need to be with the customer at times. But a lot of the preventative work or planning work, et cetera, can be done in flexible ways. And then uh, inevitably, um, at the other end, we've got a number of people who could work um, in a, um, a, a far more dispersed and, um, and, and an agile way. So there are differences in the organisation. So the culture, well, the starting point with the culture was, uh, of course, moving from a position of, of everyone working in one way to not only being able to deliver and show that we can operate in that way, but it's reconciling some of those challenges and some of those concerns that people could have about fairness. So I think that was really, really important. So open conversation, involving people, explaining the situation around why we were doing what we were doing and having a clear rationale was really important. Clearly going back and looking at terms and conditions, contractual arrangements to make sure that those people who were not able to operate in that way um, fully understood why and what could be done where appropriate and where possible, almost in recompense, almost to, you know, to, to balance out across the organisation. And then I think it's absolutely understood that at the top level of the organisation, um, there is often a degree of, of confidence and comfort in having people around you. So there was that necessity to make sure that we could show this can make a difference. So, again, it goes back to this importance of when, when you're identifying a change, making sure that you're really clear on the business benefits and that those encompass everything. So the key thing, certainly for senior managers, was to build that confidence by saying, look, this is, this is the bottom line of what we're trying to deliver. But also, this is the softer side. This is what's coming from the ground up in terms of our discussions with staff. And this is how we're managing some of those issues. And then, of course, 
where it's appropriate. Here are the, the, the bottom line cost savings. Here are the efficiencies, which we must always be focused on in terms of spending public money. So that was really important. So that did require a cultural change. Did it happen instantaneously? No. Are there still naysayers? There always will be. There, there always will be. But I think we have seen um, a shift within our organisation. You know, we're now three and a bit years in where this has become commonplace. Um, and we are settled now on a percentage of our staff who um, operate in an agile way and a percentage that don't. And we're now satisfied. And one of the gaps we wanted to close was making sure that we'd addressed all those issues of fairness. And we made sure that people have got the right protections and contractual basis for how they're operating, as opposed to assuming that old contracts, old ways underpin new ways of operating, which they, they don't. So key challenges there, I think, that um, about culture that we're we're never going to be there 100%, but I think we're, we're moving towards that and that's facilitated some good work. Great. I'd, I'd really like to come back to that point about the performance and the mm. benefits, um, because I recall in some of the early scoping interviews, people were talking about how much time was spent traveling between mm. meetings. So that face to face, um, you know, way of operating really did have have some some time consequences, opportunity cost consequences. Uh, and I, I wondered how, how you're experiencing those benefits uh, now. I think that's that's probably one of the things that has lodged itself most in how we operate now. Because even for those people who were not comfortable in working this way or wasn't suitable for them or their arrangements were not, were not such that we could work in this way, that, that has been a key win. Um, there is always the necessity with some meetings, obviously depending on content, depending on sensitivity, that those things need to be conducted with, with all present. But that is something that, that um, we very much focus on now. So it is... It is the the norm rather than the exception that we would look to run things in a in a in an online way where we can. Um, the rapid onset of, of of how things changed around software that we all experienced moving, particularly you know certain certain brands etc. Certain pr and providers have made things really really flexible, and that includes on mobile devices. So you know we will often have people calling in who are parked safely on the side of the road between other bits and pieces. So there's a monetary basis for that. Um, and one of the things that we did right at the beginning was look very closely. You know, when you start to think about not just, you know, the mileage and the expenses claims, you start to think about wear and tear. You start to try and put a, a pounds and pence value on hours saved. It's it's significant. Um, but what must we must do is make sure that um, a day that used to be broken up with travelling also could have some some benefits to unwind or to debrief or to think or prepare for the next thing that we don't lose some of that time. So we'd be really careful about making sure that that doesn't become eight-hour back-to-back meetings where people get a few seconds between pressing a button. So as with all, it's a blend. It's a blend, but I think um, it's more the norm than the exception um, across an organisation which is spread across numerous bases across a county area. And I'd like to come back to the point that you made about managerial competencies, because, mm. of course, this was a big shift for uh, people managing teams. Um, so how did you use the insights that we provided? Was that in training? Was it in sh other ways of sharing across the organisation? Yes. So we, we've, we've used that through training. Um, we've used that through uh, we've included elements in some of our leadership training. 
Um, and what we've tried to do throughout with the Agile Working Programme is show that because it affects everyone, we try to draw out key details and package things in a way that's accessible to everyone. So formal training has been very, very good. So the product that we referred to before, almost the, the, the checklist ultimately, is a really, really important part of um, of our line management training. But we also, throughout, we will have um, welfare checkpoints um, with all of our staff where we've actually added that to that list. So whereas in the past we'd be thinking about, you know, we, we'll start to discuss around sort of home circumstances, we'll talk about family and, you know, all of the challenges that we have in, in work-life balance. But we've actually used that as a guide now to actually go through with people and say, and as an agile worker, these are the things that we know from previous research with this very population. So where are we with those things? So both as a training tool and as a day-to-day -day tool in how we manage our people focused on welfare, it's been very good. Um, so when the team, when we spoke to you, I mean, right at the beginning, um, we, were, we were keen to undertake research. We were keen to inform practice. Um, and I, I wondered what you felt about that sort of university research constabulary collaboration and, and what you learn from that. Yeah, I think, um, I think it comes back to one of the points I made a moment ago. So um, I've, I've said throughout that we should never assume we have all the answers, that we have access to all of the materials that we need. Um, and whilst we're very well supported with um, strategic analysis and people who are, are very highly educated or people who've got you know, research backgrounds, it is very limited uh, from there. And we are in an environment that is very numbers driven. So the key thing, uh, the key thing really for me that, that um, prompted all of this discussion was this element around understanding far more beyond the numbers um, and being able to understand how to properly design and deliver question sets that get to the heart of an issue when you're dealing with a, a group of, of diverse human beings. Um, because I think sometimes with the best of intentions, without that insight, without that skill, without that knowledge, you don't elicit the information you want or there are some pitfalls which you could find yourself falling down. And as, as mentioned before, that can be hugely damaging for actually understanding the, the richness of the picture um, as, as to where things are. So it is always good to have a critical friend that comes with no misconceptions um, who is, is coming, uh, extending a, a hand to help. Um, and that gives a really sort of vivid take on some of the things that we deal with every day. Um, so hugely beneficial, hugely important. The challenge, obviously, for particularly for policing and the challenge for public sector is always to make sure that we can achieve that in a way that, that minimises cost and we can look at exploring every avenue we can um, to look at funding to get best value both for academic partners and obviously for the policing partners um, but yeah hugely important and something that I've always championed and something that hopefully throughout the rest of my career I want to continue to focus on. Yes, from our point of view, I think that it was really interesting to see the diversity of the policing activity um, and and how important the context under which a new workplace practices in, in introduced. Um, so it wasn't just about COVID. It, it, it was actually about the context of, yeah. of policing uh, too. Um, so 
We've been discussing agile working. We've been discussing the cultural change um, from a research and practice perspective. Are there any uh, particular insights or tips that you'd like to share? So the first is, if I was talking to other organisations about our experience and say, in the context of agile working, what have we learned? Um, I would say uh, it's really important to understand just how significant a degree of flexibility and control over working um, arrangements can be for staff, but also that some of the traditional notions of, well, it's an opportunity for laziness or people won't be disciplined or what is, that, that those things, I believe, are myths. It doesn't mean you don't need to have structure. It doesn't mean you don't need to have the right system to support people, but there are real opportunities to explore this. And in a really busy world of juggling so many different things, with constant noise, with a constant assault of information, it can be a really good way for people to operate effectively, to have that flexibility, and for organisations to achieve their objectives in an efficient way. So I think it's hugely, hugely important. Um, and I think, as I say, in our organisation, quite a traditional organisation, we've seen people who've, who've seen that, have embraced that, and, and, and as a result, we've, we've seen those changes. The second element is around, again, the importance of bringing perspectives and expertise outside of your organisation where you can to challenge your ideas um, and to continue to close gaps in creative ways. Because at the end of the day, um, certainly from a public sector perspective, you know, what we want to do is create a safer, happier, healthier, more productive society. I'm bringing together academic partners with the public sector to do that, I think is a hugely important way to achieve that. Thank you very much. And are there any other final messages you'd like to um, give our listeners? I'd just like to say thank you very much. I thank you for the op opportunity to participate today. And I'd like to say thank you very much over a period of years for the opportunity to work with the university, with the business school. Uh, it's given me personally a number of you know, really good insights um, as to how we can make things better. Um, and the practical achievements that can be put in place in the workplace or within communities or well, within society by, by bringing together collective minds. Thank you very much, Thank Steve. You. Thank you. So that's a big thank you again to Professor Sarah Connolly and Chief Inspector Steve Kerridge from Cambridgeshire Constabulary. Just a quick reminder, if you'd like to find out more about the checklist for the proactive management of remote workers and download that checklist, please visit www.evolveworkplacewellbeing.org and search checklist. Please join us in our ongoing exploration of workplace wellbeing, research and lived experience in our regular podcast going forwards. This podcast was produced by the University of East Anglia with the support of UEA Broadcast House, Norwich Business School, RAND Europe and all the members of the Workplace Wellbeing Research Team. You can find out more about our team as a whole, our research and use our practical business-focused resources at www.evolveworkplacewellbeing.org. Thank you for listening.